0: Section three of Beacon Lights of History, Volume Seven: Great Women by John Lord. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K Hand. Heloise, Part Three. No one can read this letter without acknowledging its delicacy and its loftiness. All his desires centered in the spiritual good of her whom the Church would not allow him to call any longer his wife, yet to whom he hoped to be reunited in heaven as a professed nun she could no longer with propriety think of him as an earthly husband for a priest to acknowledge a nun for his wife would have been a great scandal by all the laws of the church and the age they were now only brother and sister in christ nothing escaped from his pen which derogates from the austere dignity of the priest but heloise was more human and less conventional she had not conquered her love once given it could not be taken back she accepted her dreary immolation in the convent since she obeyed abelard both as husband and as a spiritual father but she would have left the convent and rejoined him had he demanded it for marriage was to her more sacred than the veil she was more emancipated from the ideas of her superstitious age than even the bold and rationalistic philosopher with all her moral and spiritual elevation heloise could not conquer her love and as a wedded wife why should she conquer it she was both nun and wife if fault there was it was as wife in immuring herself in a convent and denying the marriage it should have been openly avowed the denial of it placed her in a false position as a fallen woman yet as a fallen woman she regained her position in the eyes of the world she was a lady abbess it was impossible for a woman to enjoy a higher position than the control of a convent as abbess she enjoyed the friendship and respect of some of the saintliest and greatest characters of the age even of such a man as peter the venerable abbot of cluny and it is impossible that she should have won the friendship of such a man if she herself had not been irreproachable in her own character the error in judging heloise is that she as a nun had no right to love but the love existed long before she took the veil and was consecrated by marriage even though private by the medieval and conventional standpoint it is true the wife was lost in the nun that is the view that abelard took that it was a sin to love his wife any longer but heloise felt that it was no sin to love him who was her life she continued to live in him who ruled over her and to whose desire her will was subject and obedient according to that eternal law declared in the garden of eden nor could this have been otherwise so long as abelard retained the admiration of heloise and was worthy of her devotion we cannot tell what changes may have taken place in her soul had he been grovelling or tyrannical a slave of degrading habits or had he treated her with cruel harshness or ceased to sympathize with her sorrows or transferred his affections to another object but whatever love he had to give he gave to her in the end so far as the ideas of his age would permit his fault was in making a nun of his wife which was in the eyes of the world a virtual repudiation even though, from a principle of sublime obedience and self-sacrifice, she consented to the separation. Was Josephine to blame because she loved a selfish man after she was repudiated? Heloise was simply unable to conquer a powerful love. It was not converted into hatred, because Abelard, in her eyes, seemed still to be worthy of it. She regarded him as a saint, forced by the ideas of his age to crush a mortal love, which she herself could not do, because it was a sentiment, and sentiment is eternal she was greater than abelard because her love was more permanent in other words because her soul was greater in intellect he may have been superior to her but not in the higher qualities which imply generosity self-abnegation and sympathy qualities which are usually stronger in women than in men in abelard the lower faculties ambition desire of knowledge vanity consumed the greater he could be contented with the gratification of these even as men of a still lower type can renounce intellectual pleasures for the sensual it does not follow that heloise was weaker than he because she could not live outside the world of sentiment but rather loftier and nobler these higher faculties constituted her superiority to abelard it was sentiment which made her so pre-eminently great and it was this which really endeared her to abelard by reason and will he ruled over her but by the force of superior sentiment she ruled over him sentiment indeed underlies everything that is great or lovely or enduring on this earth it is the joy of festivals the animating soul of patriotism the bond of families the beauty of religious political and social institutions it has consecrated thermopylae the parthenon the Capitol, the laurel crown the conqueror's triumphal procession the epics of homer the eloquence of demosthenes the muse of virgil the medieval cathedral the town halls of flanders the colleges of oxford and cambridge the struggles of the puritans the deeds of gustavus adolphus the marseilles hymn the farewell address of washington there is no poetry without it nor heroism nor social banqueting What is christmas without the sentiments which hallow the evergreen the anthem the mistletoe the family reunion what is even tangible roast beef and plum pudding without a party to enjoy them and what is the life of the party but the interchange of sentiments why is a cold sleigh ride or the ascent of a mountain or a voyage across the atlantic or a rough journey under torrid suns to the consecrated places why are these endurable and even pleasant it is because the sentiments which prompt them are full of sweet and noble inspiration the last supper and bethany and the sepulchre are immortal because they testify eternal love leonidas lives in the heart of the world because he sacrificed himself to patriotism the martyrs are objects of unfading veneration because they died for christianity in the same way heloise is embalmed in the affections of all nations because she gave up everything for an exalted sentiment which so possessed her soul that neither scorn nor pity nor ascetic severities nor gloomy isolation nor ingratitude nor a living death could eradicate or weaken it an unbounded charity which covered with its veil the evils she could not remove that all-pervading and all-conquering sentiment was the admiration of ideal virtues and beauties which her rapt and excited soul saw in her adored lover such as dante saw in his departed bernice it was unbounded admiration for abelard which first called out the love of heloise and his undoubted brilliancy and greatness were exaggerated in her loving eyes by her imagination even as mothers see in children traits that are hidden from all other mortal eyes so lofty and godlike did he seem amidst the plaudits of the schools and his triumph over all the dignitaries that sought to humble him so interesting was he to her by his wit sarcasm and eloquence that she worshipped him and deemed it the most exalted honor to possess exclusively his love in return which he gave certainly to no one else satisfied that he the greatest man of the world as he seemed and as she was told he was should give to her what she gave to him she exalted in it as her highest glory it was all in all to her but not to him see then how superior heloise was to abelard in humility as well as self-abnegation she was his equal and yet she ever gloried in his superiority see how much greater too she was in lofty sentiments since it was the majesty of his mind and soul which she adored he was comparatively indifferent to her when she became no longer an object of desire but not so with her since she was attracted by his real or supposed greatness of intellect which gave permanence to her love and loftiness also he was her idol since he possessed those qualities which most powerfully excited her admiration this then is love when judged by a lofty standard worship of what is most glorious in mind and soul and this exalted love is most common among the female sex since their passions are weaker and their sentiments are stronger than those of most men what a fool a man is to weaken this sympathy or destroy this homage or outrage this indulgence or withhold that tenderness that delicate attention that toleration of foibles that sweet appreciation by which the soul of woman is kept alive and the lamp of her incense burning and woe be to him who drives this confiding idolater back upon her technical obligations the form that holds these certitudes of the soul may lose all its beauty by rudeness or neglect and even if the form remains what is a mortal body without the immortal soul which animates it the glory of a man or of a woman is the real presence of spiritual love which brings peace to homes alleviation to burdens consolation to sufferings rest to labors hope to anxieties and a sublime repose amid the changes of the world that blessed flower of perennial sweetness and beauty which adam in his despair bore away from eden and which alone almost compensated him for the loss of paradise It is not my object to present Abelard except in his connection with the immortal love with which he inspired the greatest woman of the age. And yet I cannot conclude this sketch without taking a parting glance of this brilliant but unfortunate man. And I confess that his closing days strongly touch my sympathies, and make me feel that historians have been too harsh in their verdicts. Historians have based their opinions on the hostilities which theological controversies produced, and on the neglect which Abelard seemed to show for the noble woman who obeyed and adored him but he appears to have employed his leisure and tranquil days in writing hymns to the abbess of the paraclete in preparing homilies in giving her such advice as her circumstances required all his later letters show the utmost tenderness and zeal for the spiritual good of the woman to whom he hoped to be reunited in heaven and doing for heloise what jerome did for paula and fenelon for madame Guyon. if no longer her lover he was at least her friend and moreover at this time he evinced a loftier religious life than he has the credit of possessing he lived a life of study and meditation but his enemies would not allow him to rest even in generous labors they wished to punish him and destroy his influence so they summoned him to an ecclesiastical council to answer for his heresies first he resolved to defend himself and bernard his greatest enemy even professed a reluctance to contend with his superior in dialectical contests but abelard seeing how inflamed were the passions of the theologians against him and how vain would be his defence appealed at once to the pope and rome of course sided with his enemies he was condemned to perpetual silence and his books were ordered to be burned to this sentence it would appear that abelard prepared to submit with more humility than was to be expected from so bold and arrogant a man but he knew he could not resist an authority based on generally accepted ideas any easier than henry the fourth could have resisted hildebrand he made up his mind to obey the supreme authority of the church but bitterly felt the humiliation and the wrong broken in spirit and in reputation abelard now an old man set out on foot for rome to plead his cause before the pope he stopped on his way at cluny in burgundy that famous monastery where hildebrand himself had ruled now however presided over by peter the venerable the most benignant and charitable ecclesiastical dignitary of that age and as abelard approached the gates of the venerable abbey which was the pride of the age worn out with fatigue and misfortune he threw himself at the feet of the lordly abbot and invoked shelter and protection how touching is the pride of greatness when brought low by penitence or grief like that of theodosius at the feet of ambrose or henry the second at the tomb of becket But Peter raises him up, receives him in his arms, opens to him his heart and the hospitalities of his convent, not as a repentant prodigal, but as the greatest genius of his age, brought low by religious persecution. Peter did all in his power to console his visitor, and even privately interceded with the Pope, remembering only Abelard's greatness and his misfortunes. And the persecuted philosopher, through the kind offices of the abbot, was left in peace, and was even reconciled with Bernard. An impossibility without altered opinions in abelard or a submission to the church which bore all the marks of piety the few remaining days of this extraordinary man it seems were spent in study penitence and holy meditation so beloved and revered was he by the community among whom he dwelt that for six centuries his name was handed down from father to son among the people of the valley and the town of cluny at the extremity of a retired valley says lamartine flanked by the walls of the convent on the margin of extensive meadows closed by woods and near to a neighboring stream there exists an enormous lime tree under the shade of which abelard in his closing days was accustomed to sit and meditate with his face turned towards the paraclete which he had built and where heloise still discharged the duties of abbess but even this pensive pleasure was not long permitted him he was worn out with sorrows and misfortunes and in a few months after he had crossed the hospitable threshold of cluny he died in the arms of his admiring friend under the instinct of a sentiment as sacred as religion itself peter felt that abelard above and heloise on earth demanded of him the last consolation of a reunion in the grave so quietly in the dead of night dreading scandal yet true to his impulses without a hand to assist or an eye to witness he exhumed the coffin which had been buried in the abbey cemetery and conveyed it himself to the paraclete and entrusted it to heloise she received it with tears shut herself up in the cold vault with the mortal remains of him she had loved so well while peter that aged saint of consolation pronounced the burial service with mingled tears and sobs and after having performed this last sad office and given his affectionate benediction to the great woman to whom he was drawn by ties of admiration and sympathy this venerable dignitary wended his way silently back to cluny and for the greater consolation of heloise penned the following remarkable letter which may perhaps modify our judgment of abelard it is no easy task my sister to describe in a few lines the holiness the humility and the self-denial which our departed brother exhibited to us and of which our whole collected brotherhood alike bear witness never have i beheld a life and deportment so thoroughly submissive I placed him in an elevated rank in the community, but he appeared the lowest of all by the simplicity of his dress and his abstinence from all the enjoyments of the senses. I speak not of luxury, for that was a stranger to him. He refused everything but what was indispensable for the sustenance of life. He read continually, prayed often, and never spoke except when literary conversation or holy discussion compelled him to break silence. His mind and tongue seemed concentrated on philosophical and divine instructions simple straightforward reflecting on eternal judgments shunning all evil he consecrated the closing hours of an illustrious life and when a mortal sickness seized him with what fervent piety what ardent inspiration did he make his last confession of his sins with what fervor did he receive the promise of eternal life with what confidence did he recommend his body and soul to the tender mercies of the saviour such was the death of abelard as attested by the most venerated man of that generation and when we bear in mind the friendship and respect of such a man as peter and the exalted love of such a woman as heloise it is surely not strange that posterity and the french nation especially should embalm his memory in their tradition heloise survived him twenty years a priestess of god a mourner at the tomb of abelard and when in the solitude of the paraclete she felt the approach of the death she had so long invoked she directed the sisterhood to place her body beside that of her husband in the same leaden coffin and there in the silent aisles of that abbey church it remained for five hundred years until it was removed by lucien bonaparte to the museum of french monuments in paris but again transferred a few years after to the cemetery of pere Lachaise. the enthusiasm of the french erected over the remains a beautiful monument and there may still be seen day by day the statues of the immortal lovers decked with flowers and coronets perpetually renewed with invisible hands the silent tribute of the heart of that consecrated sentiment which survives all change thus do the votive offerings mysteriously convey admiration for the constancy and sympathy with the posthumous union of two hearts who transposed conjugal tenderness from the senses to the soul who spiritualized the most ardent of human passions and changed love itself into a holocaust a martyrdom and a holy sacrifice authorities lamartine's characters barrington's middle ages Michelet's history of france life of saint bernard french ecclesiastical historians Bale's critical dictionary biographique Universelle, popes lines on abelard and heloise letters of abelard and heloise end of section 3